Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor David Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We're in a series called Power Today, walking verse by verse through the book of Acts. And so last week, if you're with us, you know that we were with Paul and Barnabas. So these two early church missionaries, the first missionaries sent out by the early church to reach the world, and they go to an island in the Mediterranean Sea called the Island of Cyprus. And they actually have this encounter with the guy who is over, the Roman Empire has put him over that island. His name is Sergius Paulus, and all this crazy stuff happens in this interaction. In fact, a guy says, you don't want to listen to them, and the Apostle Paul looks at him and says, you child of the devil, you're going to be blind. It's like, if you call somebody a child of the devil, you should be sure. You know, like, you just want to, before you say that, uh, Paul was sure. God actually worked through Paul to blind him for three days to get his attention, get the governor's attention, but as a result of that miracle, what happens is Sergius Paulus gives his life to Jesus, and it's just this incredible story, and today we're going to be looking at the verses that follow that, and I've titled today's message, After the Miracle. After the Miracle. What happens after the miracle? You know, we're in a season in the life of the church where we're watching God do a lot of miracles. Every week we're hearing the stories. Actually, day after day, we get testimonies every single day of the stories of how God is doing miracles in the lives of people. We're getting them from the Joplin campus and the West campus and the North campus and people watching online around the world is powerful. All those stories, miracle after miracle after miracle. I want to read you just a couple. They're, they're so exciting. I have to read you just a couple of them because they so appropriately set the stage for where we're going in God's word today. But this is Ruth. She writes this, I have been suffering from severe pain in my left shoulder for a year and a half now. I couldn't put my arm behind my back. It was painful, very painful to get dressed. I also had difficulty sleeping. The doctor said it was frozen shoulder and scheduled me to see an orthopedic surgeon for an evaluation. I got a cortisone shot in the meantime, which provided some pain relief. My shoulder felt slightly better, but it was short-lived. The pain returned in full force. I went back to the doctor. She recommended physical therapy. Same story, same pain, so discouraging. Then on Sunday morning, there was a word of knowledge. So a word of knowledge is at times where as we're worshiping, God gives somebody insight into what he wants to do in the lives of people that they wouldn't have any prior knowledge of. And so she says there was a word of knowledge in the service, and it was on a Sunday morning for anyone with pain in their left shoulder. My husband nudged me and said, that's you. How many of you are thankful for faith-filled spouses who nudge you and say, that's for you, that's for you, okay? Says, to be honest, I felt very self-conscious. I was timid to stand up, but I knew this is what I'd been praying for. No way was I going to pass up this opportunity. So I stood up and I stepped out on the aisle and I felt God's mighty presence in such a powerful way. I didn't notice anything different physically right in that moment, but my faith was stronger than ever. She said, I went back to my seat, thanking God in advance for my healing. The next morning, as I was getting dressed, I noticed I didn't have any pain. 
I said, wait, what? No pain? So I put my arm behind my back. I moved my arm in ways that before would have caused extreme pain. No more pain. It's gone. I'm healed. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Powerful. Now Leanne, Leanne was in, Leanne was in the other service. She writes this. I've had chronic migraines since my early 20s. I'm now in my 50s. I've had, at a minimum, two to three of them a week. Sometimes it's so debilitating that I have to go to bed. Light and sound is painful. Throwing up is sometimes what is happening as a response to them. In addition to my migraines, about five years ago, I started waking up with a headache every single day. Sometimes they would be a doll ache. Other times they would be severe and turn into a migraine. I've been under the care of a neurologist. I've gone through many tests, medications, injections. I could never find the right combination to prevent the migraines completely and never prevent the daily headaches. My friends and family have been praying for me over the years. I've been believing and waiting on Labor Day weekend. I had a severe migraine on Sunday morning. I came into service. Pastor Debbie leaned over to me and said, your healing is on the way. Moments after that, there was a word of knowledge for somebody who was suffering from migraines for the majority of their life. I couldn't stand up fast enough. Pastor John had us go into the aisles. I didn't feel any different in that moment, no heat, no sensation, but I knew I was healed. As I sat down, my head actually worsened throughout the message. I thought I was going to be sick, but I kept thanking the Lord for my healing because I knew it was for me. I felt like there was a spiritual battle in that moment. The enemy did not want me to be healed, but I continued praising the Lord for my healing throughout the day. I woke up the next morning headache-free for the first time in five years. You know what? I've not had a migraine since that day because God has healed me. Come on, praise the Lord. God, thank you. You're our healer. You're our healer. Now I've got, I've got a couple more, and then, I'm gonna, then you're going to stand because these ones, they're just getting better and better. Brianna, 2021, she said, we were in a very bad car accident. Miraculously, my three young children were not hurt. I was the one who was injured. She said, due to the injury, I had to have surgery in July of last year, and I had two pins placed on either side of the fracture. It was pretty easy recovery, or it was supposed to be a pretty easy recovery, but lately I've had a lot of discomfort and pain. There were pins where the pins are. They don't sit flush with the bone. They rub back and forth every time when I walk. I've been contemplating going in to have surgery again to have the pins removed because of the cost of the surgery. I've delayed that decision. In September, at the beginning of September, we did a family trip where we were going to hike. It caused so much pain when I returned home that she said I just had a lot of trouble. Two days after coming back, I attended the Design for Life Dream Team training on September 13th. I sat next to an incredible woman named Katrina who I didn't know. A word of prayer was given. We were all praying during that time. Katrina looked at me and said, I was called to pray for you. Are you having pain in your foot? <laughs> I replied, Yes, actually. She said, is it your right ankle? 
It took me a second to reply because I didn't believe this was happening to me. But eventually I told her, yes. She asked if she could pray for me. Katrina laid hands on me, prayed the most powerful prayer I have ever heard. I felt every word of that prayer flowing through my body. It's been almost two weeks since that night. I have had absolutely no discomfort, no pain. I have a checkup that's been scheduled for six months, well before I knew I was going to be prayed for. They took an x-ray. The pins are now flush with the bone, something that should be medically impossible. God has healed me. Come on, church. Man. So then this final one, Anna says, I I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. I also have a gluten intolerance that's lasted for the past four years. It's caused severe hormonal imbalance. It's affected me mentally and physically. I was chronically exhausted, unable to sleep, rapidly gaining weight, unable to eat gluten without severe bloating and pain, dealing with crippling anxiety and depression, and was told I would most likely never be able to have children. I've been trying to be healed medically, but it's only barely helped me manage the symptoms. I was trying to come to terms with the fact that this was going to be my life. This was my new normal. I had heard the amazing things happening at church for months, but I never felt like my issue was big enough to be prayed over. I decided one Wednesday night that I had finally had enough. I wanted to be healed. I came to the prayer meeting during the worship. I commanded the disease to be gone out of my body in Jesus' name. Immediately, I felt something was pulled off of me that God spoke, telling me to speak of my healing. At the end of service, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues. That night, my symptoms were gone and have not returned. I'm able to eat without bloating or pain. I am sleeping through the night for the first time in years. I am no longer chronically exhausted. My health is returned. I'm still waiting for the final doctor's report, but I know my God has healed me. Come on. Let's worship the Lord. God, we praise you. You're our healer. You're the God who heals. Oh, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Amen. Well, you can grab your seat across every campus today. The topic or the subject of the message is after the miracle. What does God want to do through you after the miracle? What does God want to do in the church after the miracle? You know, we've been talking for months about the fact that if what is happening in here, what is happening at Joplin, what is happening at West, what is happening at North stays in the four walls of the church, it'll die in the four walls of the church. He's meant to travel. It's meant to go out. It's meant to go out into the community. It's meant to go out into the neighborhoods around us and our our workplaces. It's meant to go out. So what happens after the miracle? And the first thing that should happen after the miracle, and we're going to see this in the text as we launch into it today, is that we are to look for God opportunities. Look for God opportunities. Somebody say opportunity. Somebody say it like you're excited about an opportunity. There we go. Look for God opportunities. So I just said a moment ago, Paul and Barnabas are part of this amazing, miraculous moment. And out of it, on the island of Cyprus, the governor of the whole island believes. He puts his faith in Jesus. And then 
we read this. Go to Acts chapter 13 and verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. We looked at that last week. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Now none of this means a lot to most of us, but I'm going to put it on a map so you can understand where they're at. So they have set sail from Syria, and they came to the island of Cyprus, and they traveled across the island, and they met with Sergius Paulus, the governor, and he gave his life to Jesus, and then they got on a boat, and they traveled 115 approximately miles to get to Perga, right over here. That's modern, in modern-day Turkey. So they're on the coast of Turkey, and then they don't stop there. They go overland from Perga up into the mountains to the region of Pisidia to Ascenti, another city named Antioch. And just so you understand, when I say up into the mountains, they're going to climb in elevation about 4,000 feet through this journey. I'm going to give you a picture. If the Mediterranean is at your back and you're looking into these mountains in southern Turkey, this is actually a road. That's a 2,000-year-old road that Paul and Barnabas walked on. So they're traveling into the mountains, and this is a 125-mile journey that at minimum is going to take them six days to complete. They're carrying everything on their back. That's like intense. Or maybe they, have a, they may have a donkey with them, something, a pack mule. Regardless, they're walking, they're climbing, they're going uphill. Now, a lot of times we can think that people in the Bible, wherever they end up, they went there because God told them to go there. Well, they have a divine itinerary, and they just know where they're going. But there is no indication in Scripture that Paul and Barnabas, at the start of their journey, know they're going to end up in Pisidian Antioch. There's zero indication of that. And so scholars have had these hypotheses about why Paul and Barnabas go from Perga up into Pisidian Antioch. And some have said, well, Paul may have contracted malaria on the coast of Turkey because in Galatians 4.13, he talks about being ill before he came into the region of Galatia, which is where he's going to go next. But if the issue is he's got malaria and he just needs a drier climate, he needs to find a mountain town, there are a lot of mountain towns that would have been closer than Antioch and Pisidia. So what's going on? And I want to suggest to you that what is happening in the text is that they are looking for a God opportunity. And when you're looking for a God opportunity, the first thing you do is you position yourself for the opportunity. They position themselves for the opportunity. Why do I not think Paul is just looking for a drier climate to recover from malaria? Well, one, there's no indication of that happening in the text. It, when, you, when we get to Pisidian Antioch, it's not like Paul goes, hey, I need to check into a hospital and lay up here and get better. He doesn't do that. We are, we are actually told exactly what happens first. The other issue is that Sergius Paulus, this guy who has just come to faith in Christ, has relatives, historians tell us, he had extended family that lived in Pisidian Antioch. So very likely what happened is Paul and Barnabas lead him to Christ. This miracle has happened, which has pointed him to Jesus. And then Sergius Paulus says, hey, 
I don't know where you guys are going next. And they say, we don't know where we're going next either. We're just, the Holy Spirit is going to tell us. And he's like, well, if there's any way, if there's any way, I've got some extended family. He's got cousins and nieces and nephews and, you know, whoever else. I've got them. And they live in this region called Pisidian Antioch. Paul says, okay, that sounds good to us. We'll go through Perga and we'll, we'll climb into the mountains and we'll go see them. Why do I say all of that? I say all of that to tell you that God wants to work. Once a miracle, once you've heard about a miracle, once God's done something in your life, once God has had, there's been an interaction, there seems to be relational connection. God always wants to work through relationship to point people to Jesus. There are people today you're in relationship with that you weren't in relationship with a year ago. And the reason you know them today is God has strategically put them in your life because they need what you have. You're not there on accident. Some of you bought a house this year. You moved into a neighborhood. You've got neighbors on this side and on this side. I want you to know they're not your neighbors on accident. They're your neighbors on purpose. The people across the street that your kids play with, you're supposed to know them because they need an encounter with the living God. He's done something in your life. He's repositioned you to position you for an opportunity. So we position ourselves for an opportunity by looking at the relationships and who God has placed us around, which is what Paul and Barnabas did. But we not only position ourselves for an opportunity, but we say yes to the open door. We say yes to the open door. So Paul and Barnabas get to Pisidian Antioch, and what's the first thing they're going to do? Let's look at this. They get to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law, that's the Mosaic law, you'd find that in the first five books of the Old Testament and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So in a synagogue service, it would move about the same way, that there would be a, a prayer called the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. There'd be a reading from, the, there'd be, then, then they would pray again. There'd be a reading from the law and from the prophets. And then there would be a rabbinic commentary. So the rabbi who was presiding would give comments on what they had read. And Paul is being offered the opportunity to give that commentary. But here's the, the thing that you need to recognize. Paul has a decision right here. So, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement to share, if you've got something to say about this, say it. Paul could say, you know what? You seem like you're doing a great job. You just, I'm just, I'm just here to attend church. I'm just enjoying. You know, honestly, I get to preach a lot. Rather not today. Just going to sit back. I'm, God is ministering to me. He could have just said, you know what? Actually, I don't. I'm not, I'm not really ready to say anything. Like, I kind of woke up late. I just barely got here. Uh, you know, the synagogue is just so hard to find in this town. You know, like he, who knows? But he had a choice. Here's the thing. When you're looking for a God opportunity, it is not enough to position yourself. When God opens the door, you have to walk through it. You have to say, okay, God, I guess this is it. Somebody says, now you go to that church over there where all those miracles are happening, right? Yes. Yes, I do. What's, what's, what's happening over there? Oh, let me tell you. Let me get out my uh, journal over here. I've been writing them down. You know, like, I'm ready to walk through the door. I'm ready. You know what? The question isn't, 
Are there going to be opportunities? The question is, when the opportunity arises, are you going to say, yes, God, I'm ready to walk through the door. I'm ready. Some of the best people in the world at this are my grandparents. They're right here on the front row. I won't ask them how many people they invited to church this week, because I know they probably can't count all the people they invited to church this week. Because if you go get a cup of coffee with them, Everybody around them is going to know about Jesus, whether they want to hear it or not. Because why? They say, God's positioned us right here. All we got to do is say yes. We leave the results with him. Like, we're just, we're in this coffee shop, and it's not an accident. We're in this restaurant, and this person is our server. Not an accident. There's something going on in their life that has set her up or set him up for this moment to hear from us. All we've got to do is say yes. They're looking for the God opportunity. Here's what trips a lot of people up, though. They say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to look for God opportunities. Their concern is, though, okay, when God gives me the opportunity, what am I going to say? Like, what if I don't know what to say? What if, what if the door is open? What if they're asking me about this or that or asking me about the church or asking me about my faith, and I don't know what to say? Paul answers that by what he says. Not only do we need to look for God opportunities, but the way that we answer or walk through the door is we tell a God story. We tell a God story. So as you move into this part of the text, what's so cool about this is this is Paul's first sermon recorded in Scripture, recorded in history anywhere. This is his first sermon. And what's so amazing about this sermon is it's not just a time capsule the way people talked a long time ago. It's actually putting down rails, putting down track for what we do with a God opportunity. What do you do? What do you say when the door is wide open and you've got an opportunity in your neighborhood or in your workplace? What do you do? And what I want to suggest to you is that you do what Paul did. Paul and Barnabas have come into this moment and they're going to, Paul's going to begin to unpack God's word and it's not, honestly, it's not complicated. It's, gonna, it's a lot of information, but there's a common thread that runs through all of it, namely that it is God-saturated. So I want to look at this with you. Look at what Paul says. Because in 15 verses, he's going to reference God 14 times. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers, and God made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And he had removed, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Brothers and sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, let us or to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him, that being Jesus, or understand the utterance of the prophets, that being the Old Testament. 
which are read every day in the Sabbath, fulfilled them. How did they fulfill them? By condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in tomb. But God raised him from the dead. So this is Paul's God story. That 14 times in 15 verses, he says, God did it. Unless we go, oh, well, that's just Bible talk. That's not just Bible talk. That's the way all scriptures sound. That's not the way all scriptures sound. That's not the way that Paul had to talk. It's certainly not the way that we talk. When you narrate last week, do you say, and God did it, and God did it, and God did it, and God did it. I went to the grocery store and bought cereal, and God paid for it. I went home, and God bought my gas, and I went home to the house that God pays the mortgage on, and I went home. All of that stuff would actually be true, but we don't talk that way. We don't say, and God did it, and God did it, and God did it, and God did it. And Paul didn't have to talk that way either. He chose to. It's intentional. What he's saying is, when you look at history, it's not just a story. It is his story. That God is at the center of the stage of human history. That he's moving it along. That he is moving it about so that there would be a plan of redemption. So that your life could be changed and transformed. He's telling them a God story. When you get an opportunity, and you will, when this week somebody says, you know what, what do you think about church? Or what do you think about God? Or do you think that God has a role in the history of human events? You can say, yes, and let me tell you a story that puts that on display. Tell people a God story. That's why I love the story that came through this week of Jim, who's on the prayer team here. So Jim has struggled with back pain for most of his adult life. He said it's a day in and day out reality. Back pain, he said, I just kind of have lived with it. He said, but three weeks ago, I was in a car accident and what was painful was now very, very, very painful. Incredibly painful to stand. But he said, last Sunday, I decided I needed to be down front. I, I had to stand down there and pray for the sick. So he was down there, he's praying for the sick. And he said, at the end of praying for other people, he turned and said, hey, would you pray for me? I was in a car accident. I've had very bad back pain. And the, the team said, absolutely. And so the people down front turned and they laid hands on Jim. And he said, as they were praying for him, his spine completely straightened out. His pain that he's lived with for decades is completely gone. Totally healed of the pain. Powerful, powerful. But he goes on. This week, he's on the phone with a client at the beginning of the week, and he says, hey, I want to tell you a story. So I was in church on Sunday, and I was, I was struggling with back pain, and I asked for people to gather around and pray for me, and they prayed for me, and God healed my back. Is there anything I can pray with you about? This is on a client call. God opportunity. God opportunity. Client call. Uh, okay. Is there anything I can pray for you? She says, well, actually there is. I've got trigeminal neuralgia, which if you don't know what that is, it's a nerve condition in your face. They call it the suicide disease because the pain is so hard to live with that it causes people to think, contemplate taking their own life. So she's, she's living with this. He says, well, can I pray with you? She said, I actually 
came to church. I came to James River because I heard about what was happening. And I, I went down front and I, was, and I was prayed for and nothing happened. And he said, well, that's just because you haven't been healed yet. <laughs> Come on, Jim. Come on, Jim. You just haven't been healed yet. Talk about bold. You haven't been healed yet. He said, here's what I believe. I believe that as I pray for you on the phone right now, God is going to heal you. Okay, let's just back that up. I believe that as I pray for you right now, Jesus is going to heal you right now. That's Jim. That's Jim. So he prays for her over the phone, checks back in with her later that day. She said, Jim, you're never going to believe it. I've had no pain since you prayed for me. God has healed me. Come on! Tell a God story! Tell a God story! But Paul knows it is not enough for us to tell a God story. It's great. It's good. It's very helpful. But it's not enough for any one of us to simply tell a God story. Why? Because knowing about God doesn't save you. Knowing about God doesn't transform you. Knowing the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. It's good. Doesn't change you. Doesn't transform you. You've got to show them they can know God. You've got to show people that they can have a relationship with the God of the universe. Because if you leave them with the God story, they go, okay, well, that's great. Thank you. That was encouraging. But they're not right with God. They don't have a relationship with God. Paul knows they need a relationship with God. So Acts chapter 13, verse 32, look what he says. And we bring you this good news that what God promised to the fathers, that meaning their ancestors, this he has fulfilled to us in their children by raising Jesus. The good news is that we're bringing you good news. Jesus is alive. Jesus isn't dead. What you've heard about him is true. That God changes people. God sets people free. People need freedom. You're walking around people, whether you recognize it or not, every single day in your school, you're walking around people who are bound. Whether you recognize it or not, as you walk the corridors of your office complex, you're walking to people who are enslaved to sin, and they're alienated from God. That's the way you have to understand their condition, because it's the way the Bible describes their condition. But Paul has got something very encouraging for them to understand. Look at verse 38. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from what? From everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Okay, they, these are Jewish people. They know the law of Moses. They know the Old Testament law. And they know that what Paul is saying is true. They know that because they're living it. Here's the thing you need to know. The law, the law of God, following the rules doesn't make you right with God. Being a moral person doesn't save you, doesn't change you. That knowing God's word, which they did, doesn't make you new from the inside out. In fact, Paul in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says this, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, i.e. God's sight. 
Justified means be made right. You can't, at the end of your life, everybody will stand before God. Everybody, everybody, you will stand before God. And either you will be right before him and made right with him relationally, or you won't be. Paul says, if you're putting your trust in doing the right thing, saying the right thing, measuring up, making the grade, it won't work. Since through the law came knowledge of sin. What is he saying? He's saying that the law doesn't save you. It just reflects your condition back to you. The law is a mirror. So some of you got up in this, this morning, you went in the bathroom, you flipped on the light, you looked in the mirror and you said, uh-oh, got a lot of work to do today. You didn't look at the mirror and go, this mirror is broken. I didn't look like this before I went to bed. What's wrong with you? You didn't do that. You know the mirror is telling you the truth. You're going to need extra time. It's a mirror. It doesn't make you look better. It tells you how you look. It's the same with an x-ray. You may feel like, man, there's something just wrong with my arm. You go get an x-ray. The doctor x-rays your arm. He says, you know what? Look at this x-ray. You've got a broken bone. You're like, well, that makes sense. My arm's really been hurting. If that's the way you go to the doctor, that's not good. Like, you need to know that your bone is broken before you go. But you go, you see that the fracture is there. If you're putting your trust in the law to save you, it's the same as you saying to the doctor, now doc, before I leave this appointment, is it possible that I could get a copy of that x-ray? And he's like, I guess so. What are you going to do with it? Well, you see, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wrap that x-ray around this arm and then it's going to make it better. And he's going to look at you like, you're a nutcase. Why? Because that doesn't make, knowing the, the thing that told you the bone is broken doesn't make the bone better. It tells you, you need a remedy because the bone is broken. The mirror tells you, you need extra time before you go to church. That's what the law does. The law says, uh-oh, the bridge is out. There's a problem. God for centuries told humanity, there is a problem. I'm going to send a solution. And Paul says to these people, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes in him is freed from everything. Everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. There is freedom. Jesus equals freedom. Jesus equals freedom. I don't know what you're facing, but there's freedom for it. I don't know how you've come in here bound up. I don't know how you've come in here addicted. I don't know how you've come in here and relationships are a mess, but Jesus equals freedom. Jesus equals freedom. That's what Paul's saying to this group of people. You've got to know. It's not enough to know about God. You have to know him because that's where the freedom is found. But once you have showed them that they need to know God, now you need to get ready because God's about to work. You better get ready because God is not going to let you do all of that. He is not going to give you opportunities that you say yes to. He is not going to let you tell a God's story. He is not going to let you show them that there can be relationship with the living God and not work powerfully in that situation. Try it. Try it. So look at what happens here in Acts chapter 13. 
Verse 42 says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting, the synagogue broke up. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Okay, okay. We're praying for a great awakening. If you don't know that, that's something we're praying for as a church that would sweep the cities, that would sweep Southwest Missouri, that would sweep Missouri, that would sweep the nation. This sounds like the beginning of a great awakening here in Pisidian Antioch. So part of what brings about a great awakening is when the people of God are mobilized to step into opportunities to tell a God's story, to point people to relationship with Jesus, and then they watch the Holy Spirit work. Because he's going to work. He's working right here. But you better know that when you start stepping through opportunities, there will be opposition. We saw this last week. That when you start telling people, oh, it's not legalism that changes you. It's not keeping the rules that changes you. You have to have Jesus to do that. What that does, it puts a big bullseye on your back. It tells all of hell... Sick them. Why? Because Satan doesn't want people free. Satan doesn't want to see Jesus set people free. The devil has a foothold in their life and he intends to maintain it. And you're destabilizing it. Some of you thought that because things weren't going smoothly in that relationship or that interaction, that person that you're reaching out to, things aren't going smoothly so God must not be in it. I don't think that's right. If things aren't going smoothly, more often than not, God's in it. Like, wow, God is, I have so caught hell's attention. I have so gotten under Satan's skin that now he is after me. And if Satan is after you, you know that there is breakthrough in front of you. If Satan is after you, there is breakthrough. There is blessing. There is God's power on the precipice of the situation that you are in. Paul and Barnabas recognize this is not a time to shrink back. This is a time to speak up. So look at what they do. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary. The word of God was spoken to you first, that being the Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Oh, it was the city a minute ago. Now it's the region. Because when you are bold in the face of opposition. That doesn't extinguish God's power or his presence. Your boldness fans it into flame. It was, the re it was the city, now it's the region. It was the city, now it's the state. It was the state, now it's the nation. It was the nation, now it's the world. We're praying for great awakening. Come on, let's not believe God too small. Let's believe him to start something that spreads like wild through our fire, through the bold prayers and bold faith and bold words of his people. Because he wants to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you back to those verses we just looked at. Because 
Look at what Paul says. He says, since you, since you have thrust to decide and judged yourself, yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Did God say they were unworthy of eternal life? No. When people don't respond to Jesus, and some of you have, have, are right here. Part of the reason people often don't respond is they say, God wouldn't love a person like me. God wouldn't want somebody like me. God wouldn't care about me. If you know what I did, if you know what I've done, if you knew what I was doing, you would know that there is no place in God's family for somebody as messed up like me. Paul says, God didn't say he wouldn't give you eternal life. You said, I'm not worthy of eternal life. The Bible says nobody is righteous, not even one. The good news is Christ died to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am the worst. Jesus loves people. No matter what your background is, no matter what your mess-ups are, no matter what your failures are, don't say, God, you wouldn't want me. Recognize that God crossed all of eternity for relationship with you. And because Paul and Barnabas didn't back down in the face of opposition, because Paul and Barnabas spoke the truth, even when Satan was trying to stop them, a chapter that could have ended in heartache, in persecution, in turmoil, ends in the word of God spreading. Look at this in verse 50. But the Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. Is that the end? No. But they shook the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Come on. In the midst of opposition, in the midst of persecution, God can bring joy. God can pour out the Holy Spirit. God can fan the flame. God can spread the word. God can bring victory where we only saw defeat. God can do it. It's what he did in Antioch. It's what he wants to do in your life. 